Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. I am your host this week, Tom, and I am joined by Chris. Hello. And we are going to be doing what feels like a long time since the last one, but a race preview episode. Really does, um, doesn't it? I mean, it's at least four weeks since we've done one, if not more. It feels like an age. It does feel like a long time, which is weird because we always moan that you don't need to cram so many races into a season. So some irony, I guess, to be had The there. fact that we're having like the longest season mm. ever and there's still been a gap this big just shows how packed yeah. the rest of the year is going to be. I guess I kind of realised last week it was partly because of the fact that the Chinese Grand Prix should have yeah. been last weekend and have it but still it's feels odd to have had a three-week break so early in the season yeah very so, much so yeah and um, we actually do have a bit of news since last week so um i'll let chris cover that we've got a couple of bits about mercedes and also some interesting bits for ricardo fans uh, mm. as well but i'll let chris go into all that yeah so i guess the big thing this week is that mercedes heart have well they announced they didn't really announce it it just kind of happened and some journalists got wind of it and mercedes were like okay yeah that did happen uh so mercedes have had a bit of a reshuffle uh james allison is returning to be the technical director uh from the chief technical operator role he's had since 2021 he's swapping roles with mike elliott um who has been the technical director again since 2021 when they basically swapped places before and they're essentially swapping back again now. Um, Mercedes have said that it was uh, Elliot himself who kind of conducted a review of the technical department because obviously Mercedes have had a fairly rough couple of years uh, and he sort of instigated Alison taking the job off him essentially according <laughs> to Mercedes. They've also um, revised uh John Owen's role, who is the chief designer, they basically said that he ended up last season spending way too much time worrying about budget cap compliance. So they've kind of redirected his role. So he's actually going to be back to doing the car design stuff he's good at, which seems like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. um, and then a guy called Giacomo Tortora, who was uh, John Owen's sort of deputy, is becoming the engineering director. Uh, but, I mean, the, the headline of all that is very much James Allison back to being technical director, a mm. role that he was, you know, he's been that role for a good time now through all of Mercedes' massive success. Um, yeah. I think it it maybe highlights where Mercedes has struggled over the last couple of seasons, um, not having his hands-on approach because, I mean, it's different in different business cultures, but at least in a British perspective, I would always say that your technical director is kind of boots on the ground in there day in, day out. And then yeah. a chief technical officer is more kind of board level, top line decision, yeah. business structure position. Um, and I, I see why they may have opted for the switch previously if they thought there was you know something warranted in it. But... It's not necessarily not working. It's just it's not working as well. I think this yeah. way around that they've had it. So I would be interested to see how it pans out uh, once and, they once they switch back. And it's not quite as simple as it maybe first sounds to sort of match up Mercedes' poor couple of years with them being that way around. Because obviously F1 tech and cars are worked on well in advance, so it doesn't. It's not exactly like it perfectly lines up or anything, but. It's certainly, I mean, obviously, Mike Elliott himself has recognized that James Allison will do a better job as technical yeah. director than he has been doing, which, you know, is, uh, I think that's a very good thing for someone in that kind of position to be able to do, to hold their hands up and say, do you know what, I'm not, maybe not the right person in this job. We have a much better person there. And James Allison is phenomenal in what he does. As I say, he's been yeah. part of all the years of success Mercedes have had, so. Yeah, obviously Mercedes will be hoping this pushes them back in the right direction. Yeah, uh, Toto Wolf has also said that originally they were planning to have no upgrades for the next um, three rounds. They're actually now going to be bringing new parts pretty consistently for the next several races. So they definitely seem to have pushed their upgrade program forward. Um, yeah, so yeah, be interesting to see if that 
I guess the worry is that by rushing things, you're not going to do as good a job of them, especially in a budget cap era. But yeah, we'll that's it. Every every upgrade is kind of vital, isn't it? Every every diamond dollar that you're spending yeah. on an upgrade is essential. So probably worth dipping into inbox very briefly here because Benson sent something in saying, "Hey man, do you think Mercedes reappointing James Allison to technical director will solve any of the problems this season, or are we going to have to wait until next year to see any real gains from the change?" I think it's going to be a next season thing. I, I think Mercedes are already in the position where they are making improvements this year to make sure they hit the ground running next year. And I think it's just kind of all part of that, to be honest. Um, yeah. You know, I know we've only had three races so far, but it feels a bit early to be writing off a season. But Red Bull are that far ahead of Mercedes. It would take something close to a miracle for them to close that gap quickly enough. Yeah, I think that, that he could definitely help guide improvements in the right direction for work that they will be doing this season. But as with any team, you aren't going to see a dramatic change over the course yeah. of a season in, in, in reality. Yes, you will see improvements, but you very rarely see a team jump from you know two or three places down to to the top very yeah. very very rarely because doesn't happen yeah the, the the teams at the front are also improving and yes there's diminishing returns for those at the top but they're still making progress through the season so it just makes them that much harder to catch so i think he'll keep them in touching distance and maybe his Switch will help kind of guide any upgrades and changes that they make in the right direction um, and maybe prioritise some things over others um, where maybe they'd have kind of done a decent job of both, but he can maybe prioritise something and say, let's do a better job of this one thing. And maybe yeah. his technical mindset being back in that, like I say, boots on the ground kind of role can give them that direction and that purpose when it comes to the upgrades, but only time will tell, I think, overall. Yeah, and because I think as well, James Allison recently has only been doing sort of three out of five days a week directly with the F1 team. The rest, kind of like Adrian Newey did, he's been doing kind of America's Cup stuff and he's been mm -hmm. doing research on future rule sets and I think some road car stuff. So this is going to bring him back into the fold kind of full-time, which they, they need, like... you. Guys like James Allison and Adrian Newey, like you need them as much as you can, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And and that is it. It's uh, that that higher. I mean, think about the transition that Red Bull had once Newey was brought back into more the again boots on the ground role at races, yeah. being a key part of that design team again. There was a notable uptick in performance from that. For sure. And it just is that like as much as it's nice for these execs to kind of move into that more exec role, sometimes to get the best out of it, they do have to be part of it. Um so like I say, fingers crossed for Mercedes fans, it, it is it's a change for a slight improvement, if not a great improvement. Fingers crossed, yeah. Uh next little thing we've got, which is just kind of a cool, fun thing that's happening. Uh, so Gianni Ricardo is going to be driving the full Nordschleife circuit in a demo run in an F1 car uh, in September. It's over the Nürburgring 12-hour race weekend. Uh, it's going to be the first time an F1 cars lap the Nordschleife since Michael Schumacher drove one lap in a Mercedes W02, which was 10 years ago. Wow. Um, I know it's down as a demo lap, but I, I really hope he, like, guns it a little bit i'm sure <laughs> they're probably not going to want him to and how bumpy that circuit is it's going to be hell in a formula one car but i really want him to just go for it i hope there is good footage somewhere out there of the laps that he does i'm sure um, there will be i hope so because i want to see that um do you know what? i don't actually remember the michael schumacher lap no, I, so, 
I remember, I think it was Nick Heidfeld a few years before that did a couple of laps in a BMW. Yeah, um, vaguely remember they that. Were pretty slow like they were just there for some pretty shots they weren't there to like actually do lap time yeah um yeah i'm I'm very interested to see how that goes because like you say it's not the kind of circuit an f1 car will enjoy in the modern era of formula one no what i'd really love to see is do you remember when they when porsche last left world endurance championship and they did the 919 Evo and went around setting lap records. After like they I'd basically l- de-restricted it from the yeah. sanctions put in place by WEC and went, this is what this car can really do and just yeah. basically went on a world tour of circuits breaking every lap possible known to man. Like the idea of Red Bull going and actually setting up an F1 car to be able to do a lap around there properly and just see what it could actually do would be amazing. Yeah. Incredibly dangerous, but it'd be very cool to see. <laughs> it would be very cool to do. And to be fair, there's not many better than Ricardo in current era that you'd put in that car to do it. Maybe Seb would give it a go. Oh, imagine <laughs> Seb and Danny Rick going around doing laps like oh, that. Oh, man. Hmm. Love to see that. And then the last sort of newsy section thing to talk mm. about which we've not really talked about all that much. We chatted about it a little bit with Elizabeth last week, and that is F1 Academy, which starts this weekend. So it's the new all-female feeder series, um, which is Formula 4 spec cars. Um, They've got a 15-car grid. It's five teams. They've got three cars each. They're predominantly sort of names you'd recognize from F2 and F3 teams. Um, they're doing a seven-round season. Starts this weekend at the Red Bull Ring. Then they're doing Valencia, Barcelona, Zandvoort, Monza, Port Ricard, and then their final round will be in Austin, and it'll actually be part of the F1 weekend, which is very cool. Um, they're doing it's a weird weekend they've got. So they do Fridays. They have two forty-minute practice sessions and then two fifty-minute qualifying sessions. Then on Saturday they have three races: a thirty-minute, a twenty-minute, and another thirty minutes. And the the way qualifying works is kind of odd. Let me get this right. <laughs> qualifying one sets the grid for race one. Qualifying two sets the grid for race three. And race two is reverse grid from qualifying one, but only the reverse top eight like they used to do. Well, they're still actually in F2. Yeah, um, still do that. What's strange about it is something that we've just been chatting about in Discord before we start recording is that it doesn't currently appear like it's going to be broadcast anywhere, which seems like a very strange choice. Whereas, it, you know, this series supposedly exists to bring more women into world motorsport and give them platforms to launch into, you know, higher series. Mm-hmm. So for it not to be broadcast seems very strange. Obviously, we're still a few days out. There's time for that to change. Um, I would hope, like, F1 TV would broadcast it. Like, it, it's literally yeah. an F1 branded series. Surely I mean, they would broadcast it themselves. If they can sort out the, um, the eSports coverage... Why is this any different? I would yeah, say. exactly. Like, I suppose one possibility is that they're kind of for this first round trying to keep it slightly more low key, just while they sort of, you know, iron out any teething troubles and then kind of push it a little bit more once it's, um, you know, they know everything's working properly and they've got a race under their belts. But um, sounds sounds like maybe from the chat that it might be on. It might already be on F1 TV. It's more that there's no wider broadcast yeah. for um, territories that can't use F1 TV through legitimate means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly hope so. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm cautiously optimistic about this series. Obviously, we've had W series that did an awful lot right. I think did quite a lot wrong as well. Um, mm-hmm. Officially. W series still exists. Yeah, it's I mean they still have social media accounts that are just posting like the occasional picture and like yeah, or like on this day, so and so won a race. <laughs> like we kind of all know W series is dead at this point. It's just a case of it not being made official. 
yeah which is a shame um yep. a lot of the grid for f1 academy comes from w series um so I, re- I really hope that they have learned from a lot of those mistakes they've obviously got you know w series had some f1 backing but this properly does and it's f1 branded yeah they've got Susie wolf in charge of the whole thing um I'm cautiously optimistic. I really, really do want it to succeed. There's there's a lot of potential, and what they don't want to be doing is shooting themselves in the foot day one and to make it like unaccessible to most people outside of F1 TV subscribers is a classic example of shooting yourself in the foot from day one. Not an incredible start, no. <laughs> Um, I'm going to dip into Inbox again because I've identified another one that kind of fits here, I guess, to some degree. Um, so Dennis Viner messaged us and said, hey, man, with everyone wanting to see more women joining F1, why not add a female to the back of the grid? I could definitely listen to the lady you had on last week all the time. Well, that's good praise for Elizabeth, at least. Yeah, we've actually had like loads of really nice feedback from last week. Um, yeah. It was a, you would definitely uh, hope to get back on in the future. Yeah, um, and, and other voices for that matter, just yeah, in general. Definitely. Like, um, I hope people like the fact that we've done a little bit more to try and replace hosts every so often on a bit of a rotation. So obviously we had Callum and we've had Elizabeth now, so fingers crossed yeah, we can do we can some more some. at some point uh, through the season. I mean, we're only... We're only in April, so there's still a lot of the season to go. But yeah, I mean, I'd be more than happy to have people on again. It's good to know that that people enjoy it. I think more than anything. Um, yeah, and you know, if you if you pay attention to kind of F1 Twitter and F1 YouTube for all their faults, there is quite a big sort of female representation within that yes. side of the F1 world. So yeah, like. It, it's out there. The the people are the interested out there, yeah. but we just want to see it reflected on the racetrack as well. I and guess depending on as well, just just for Dennis in particular, I'm going to address Dennis directly now since that was Dennis's question. Considering you enjoyed Elizabeth's time on the show, it might be worth going back and finding the episode we did with Hazel Southwell, which I believe was me and you, Chris. I think it might have been all three of us, actually. Was it all three of us? I can't remember. Yeah. But Hazel came on the show. If you don't know Hazel, Hazel's very big within the um, the Formula E community, but just motorsport in general, really. Um, so, yeah, she's she's done a lot of journalism for Formula E since the early days, if not since the very beginning, maybe. Um, yeah, I think she was. And it, I'll, I'll try and dig out the episode and share it at some point. Um, but yeah, if yeah. you can find it by searching through the back catalogue and just typing her name, and it's it's well worth a listen because that was a very good um, a very good example of getting a a woman's voice on a very male dominated sport <laughs> and industry. So um, check that one out if you did enjoy what we were doing with Elizabeth last week. If I remember rightly, we were doing um, grid predictions with Hazel, and she put. Um, Mortara in Mercedes, yeah, uh, to replace Lewis Hamilton, I believe. Yeah, she ba- she basically really wanted a Formula E driver to, yeah. to make the move. Um, one did eventually, just wasn't the one she thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yes. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see what F1 Academy is like and how it fares. Um, there are some really exciting names on that grid. Um, like if you watched, um any of W series, you'll recognize names like, I mean, Abby Pulling is the sort of headline one. She has topped both the testing um, time, uh, testing sessions for F1 Academy so far. And she had a really great time in W series. Um, Then there's people like Marta Garcia, um, Chloe Chung, I think has got a lot of potential, Chloe Grant as well. There's a lot of, very good and also very young, which I think is one of the mistakes that W Series made is that the average age was far too high, unfortunately. Like there is an age limit on yeah. at what point do you get too old to move up in motorsport? And there are, while there are a few people who are probably pushing uh, the sort of age for Formula 4 spec, there are also a lot of like 17, 18, 19 year olds on the grid. So I'm really excited for it. I really want it to succeed. Um, I really want them to learn from W Series. I mean, Stefan de Michali's already said that 
next season that they're planning on having all of the races be F1 support races. I'm not sure that's necessarily the best idea, particularly if I start doing things outside of Europe. Maybe if they just do European races, it'll be a bit more sustainable. But um, mm. yeah, if if there is a way to watch it this weekend, I definitely urge people listening to go and give it a watch and give it some support. And I mean, Dewey Series had some phenomenal racing in it. There were so many good races. Um, so I'm hoping the spec of cars will allow the same sort of thing again. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that one of the things that they got wrong is something you mentioned there is being in being in attendance at the wrong races that really messed with the schedule costs in terms yeah. of keeping on. And it's it was almost trying to run before they could walk. Like Absolutely. it was a new series gaining some popularity amongst people seeing them at support races, but maybe going too far afield on some occasions and stretching the, the travel budget too far. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is a shame. But, I mean, hopefully, hopefully we can get somewhere good back with that. Someone Either someone can rescue that or F1 Academy can somehow spin off into it. Like, something good would be great. Um, and also, yes, just in answer to Discord, um, Abby Pulling is not the stunt driver, Abby Eaton <laughs> is the stunt driver. And Abby Eaton is also the um the hot lap driver for the Grand Tour, if anyone ever yes. wondered who that is. Same person. There. <laughs> Cleared up. Um should we should we move on to talk about Baku? We actually have a race this weekend yeah, to talk about. Some preview storylines. Let's let's cover them and discuss them. I mean I guess the biggest, weirdest storyline is that right now we still don't know what the weekend format is even going to be. Like, officially, it's still down as being the same as last year's sprint format. But we had all that talk about them maybe introducing the new version with two qualifying sessions. And some broadcasters are starting to change their schedules to the alternate version with the extra <laughs> qualifying sessions. So yeah. it's kind of looking like that's going to happen, but... Still nothing official, and we're a few days out from the race weekend starting, which is a bizarre place to be. Um, yeah. And surely, surely the teams need to know, but and Pirelli need to know by now, because like it, whether they're doing one or two qualifying sessions and two or three practice sessions is going to affect the tire allocations. It's yeah, a well, weird position to be in. It's obviously it should be. I mean, the the proper schedule should be as it has been. It should be an FP1 with a qualifying session Friday, an FP2 with a sprint race the Saturday, and then obviously a race Sunday. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it just seems very confusing at the moment as to what... I can't remember what the last version of the Times was that I saw, to be brutally honest with you. The, the, the updated version, if they do it, is... I believe it's fr it's Friday practice one and Grand Prix qualifying, Saturday sprint qualifying and sprint race, sprint race. Sunday yeah. Grand Prix, but Grand Prix based on so, the first qualifying session, not on the sprint result. Yeah, so essentially scrapping FP2. Yeah, scrapping FP2 and detaching the sprint race from the Grand Prix, yeah. which sounds great to me. I really like that format. I really hope they do go with it, but the fact that we don't know yet is bizarre. Yeah, it's it it feels like someone had a beer at the weekend and was like, I've got a really good idea for how we fix this problem that everyone's complaining about. And then some, some other person's gone, yeah, what? I'm like, let's just scrap FP2 and have a second quality session. Genius, guys. Let's do it. And then this is like, I don't know, 9 p.m. last Friday yeah. night. And maybe people are like four beers in and then started signing paperwork to make it an official thing and then forgot to send that off to a team and, a, and Pirelli. And then the FIA misheard it. And then F1 decided to do something different anyway. Like, it just, just sounds... 
like a the, Friday night pub conversation. <laughs> in terms they're always of the trying to keep Stefano Domenicali from coming up with new ideas. Like <laughs> maybe maybe this was Stefano. He was maybe he was Rose wandering in the back of a napkin or something. Yeah, he was like wandering around a bar in Berlin watching the Formula E or something, and decided yeah. <laughs> this is what we're gonna do, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in terms of actual race-related storylines, um, can Perez actually beat, beat Verstappen at... Apparently, his engineer has been calling him the king of Baku based on his previous performances there. Um, it's certainly one of Perez's best tracks. Um, I mean, if he can't beat Verstappen here, it doesn't bode well for him putting up a title fight. <laughs> The title fight that we keep talking about and wanting to happen for the sake of the championship being interesting. Mm. I think I alluded to this a fair few weeks ago now, but basically I think that these street circuits or street style circuits, as we've had a little runoff or we'll have a little runoff, um, these are the places where Perez can maybe put a little bit of run of form together. And and essentially show I am a challenge for this title, whether the team and Max like it or not. Um, so I think if he's going to give him a run for his money, the, these are the kind of races that he can, and maybe even Monaco and stuff like that. Like th- there's a good few coming up that I would back Perez in to some degree. Whether I back him to beat Max at them all is another thing altogether. It's a big ask. Um, as pointed out by Discord, there's never been a two-time winner in Baku. There have been five races there now, and it's been a different winner every year. So, Isn't there only Mercedes that's had multiple? No, that can't be right. Honda it... won, uh, Red Bull have run the last two. Verstappen last year. Uh, yes. Year yeah, so it was only Mercedes until Perez last year. Yes, because Ricardo won in 2017. Yeah. Oh, no, that would have been a Red Bull as well, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, only Red Bull and Mercedes have won it to date, and I can't see that changing anytime soon, unless mm-hmm. unless Alonso nicks the win that we all think he's going to get at some point. I mean, yeah. given given previous races, I wouldn't put it past that happening, to be honest. I, don't, I think this is probably going to be the least straightforward predictions we'll do of the season so far. Oh, will it? I think so. And speaking <laughs> of Alonso... Do Go we on. think Aston are still going to remain the second fastest team or are we about to see the rest of the pack starting to close in on them, do you think? I guess it depends on who starts bringing upgrades this weekend, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Depends on who brings what. Um, this is one of the things that does excite me after a few weeks of no action is it means the teams have had longer to put upgrade plans into into reality. Um and be ready to put them on a car. So there's good chance that you could see stuff across the whole grid, realistically. Which Potentially, yeah. If it's a weekend with only one practice see that in itself has got so much like spice ready and waiting. A a Grand Prix weekend where you've only got one practice session, there's a sprint quality and a sprint race to contend with as well as a normal quality and a normal race, and then 20 cars banging some form of upgrade on them and not knowing exactly how it's going to perform on (laughs) track. Like That is the recipe for a banging Grand Prix weekend. So I kind of want everyone to have brought uh, an upgrade, and I kind of want... (laughs) Stefano to have been up and down the paddock going, yeah, 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 we're scrapping FP2, guys. One practice <laughs> session. I want it to be real now. I want it to be happening. <laughs> and then I guess as a final storyline, it's just what is a sprint race at Baku even going to be like? I mean, we've we've had very exciting and very dull races at Baku, um, both in F1 and in F2. I... It's got the potential to get quite messy, I think. Yeah. Yep. Which could make for good viewing. Um, but we'll see. But shall we make some predictions? Oh, I mean this is Yeah, this is the this is the meat of the meal people come for, isn't it? This is what people are really here for. 
to, to hear us talk make predictions nonsense. on a Monday night is so far in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah. So for those who don't realise what this part of the show is, or maybe you're newer to us, um, me and Chris are about to make five predictions each for the Baku Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Um, you can get involved as well by heading to backofthegrid.com where you can sign in if you if you have played before or register if you've not and basically play along with us by making your own predictions. And if you are uh, in a position where you've scored five out of five and got a perfect weekend, there is a prize available for anyone who achieves that. So, yeah, always worth entering every week, even if you've not played before or not played for a little while. So, having said all that, Chris, I'm going to make you go first on... Okay, actually, a little bit of clarity here because this is a sprint weekend and this messes up everything sometimes. When we talk about fastest in Q3 here, we are always talking about fastest in Q3 for the Grand Prix. So that is what will be Friday afternoon's qualifying session. When we talk about a win... It will be the win of the Grand Prix, which is Sunday afternoon's race. When we talk about DNF, number of finishers, and the random driver's position, when we get to those, again, that is all based on the Grand Prix positions on Sunday, not. So basically, pretend the sprint doesn't exist for this. (laughs) Just FP1 and qualifying. (laughs) And probably not FP2. So anyway, going back to that, Chris, fastest in Q3. Where where are you going? It's boring, but I am going to say Verstappen. Oh, it is boring. I don't know if I want to go along with it or not. I'm no, I'm going to say Perez. I'm doing it. Perez, Perez. I've done it. Interesting. It, I've done it. But I think that was going to happen here. I'm going to be boring and go with a Verstappen win, and I can see what's going to happen here because you're going to go Perez for the win. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I I can't if if Perez wins and I haven't said Perez, I'm gonna feel really stupid because this is a track he's exceptionally good at. So I have to say Perez, even though it sort of feels like I might be throwing away a point. I mean, I feel like I might be throwing away a point the other way because I think in reality Perez might be able to sneak a race win out of this, but I can also see Perez being really fast and something going on that means Verstappen is ending up ahead of him at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just the cynic in me. Uh, first DNF. This is this is a. I mean, these next three I think are going to be real shots in the dark, purely based Massively. on. We have a sprint race to contend with as well, and you don't know what situation drivers are going to have put themselves in in sprint races and stuff like that. So you don't know if someone's got serious damage that's going to affect any of this. This is a real up-in-the-air scenario (laughs) for everyone, not just us for once, because this is going to all be locked down Friday afternoon when Q1 starts. So everybody's in this boat this time. Um, a bit less so than normal because the the sprint race used to set the grid, didn't it? And it doesn't anymore. So, yeah, not so much. A very good question in the Discord from Roxy is who on the grid hasn't driven Baku before? What um, f- this is where you start challenging my memory of who's raced there in junior formulas. Um, I believe. Yeah, DeVries. Well, Nick DeVries probably won't Ooh, have. Actually, no, Formula he 2, have... though. No, Formula he might have 2, he probably two, actually. Have. Yeah, I think he did. Piastri will have done in F2 or F3. Mm-hmm. Likewise with Sargent. I'm actually, there actually might not be anyone on the grid who's completely new to it. The, I think the, the closest one to not having done it will be DeVries because obviously he won F2 and went off to do other things much longer ago than the other yeah. guys were in F2. Um, so but... the biggest gap. I'm pretty sure we F2 were racing in Baku at the time Nick DeFries was there because it was that was the same sort of time George and Lando were there and I'm pretty sure they both raced in Baku. Again, could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure we've been going there as long as that. Um and in terms of first DNF, yeah, we've I know we've you've stalled for long enough. 
Yeah, I was about to say, you stalled well there. I mean, you were almost channeling Stu in spirit there <laughs> with finding something else to talk about instead of giving your answer. Um, I'm going to say Albon. I've got no idea why he pops into my head. So it's Albon. Alexander Albon. I'm going to go with the jokey answer that Wes kind of half stole from me in Discord chat. And that is, oh, wait, I can do it. That is... Oh, we got the button for this. I am stupid. Charles Leclerc. I'm doing it. Oh, Charlie oh boy. Chuck. Poor Chuck. I am stupid. Um, I mean, I look stupid when he wins the race. <laughs> <laughs> Number of finishers. Oh, this is a this is a really difficult one here. Because last season it was only fifteen. Yeah, but there was chaos last season to some degree. There was. I'm and there was go tire one... issues as well. I'm going to jump in and go one more and say 16. Okay. I'm trying to decide if there's going to be uh, like a just huge incident at any point. Um, I'm going to go with last year's numbers and say 15. I'm going to do it 15. Uh, and then at this point, we just need a random driver, really, Chris. And that random driver is Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, now. That is no. difficult because I I don't know. The car's not great, but he is doing okay with what he's got. Hmm. He's either been just outside the points this season or just scraping just the point, hasn't inside he? Them, yeah. yeah, it's a two elevenths and a tenth. I just don't know if this is the track for him to finish in the points again. So I'm going to go with a 12th for UK on this occasion. Sorry. I'm going to go... I'll go one better and say just outside the points in 11th. That's that's your sensible law of averages head speaking there. Something like that. Well, it's like, what, 11.5 officially is average? <laughs> so, yeah, no, 10.5 even. I don't know. Yeah, it's just... It's going to be around there, isn't it? I, I just can't Probably. see. Un unless there's a really good upgrade for the Tower of Russia. Sorry, it's not called that anymore. <laughs> the Alpha Tower. It's not even, not even recent that it's been called the Tower of Russia. So, but yeah, if there's, unless there's like a really considerable upgrade for that, I can't see it's only been like a, a solid points challenger. But, you know, we say things like that and then usually it's proven wrong come Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Could so, you type the second number one there, please? Because right now you've got me down as saying Snowden's going to come first, and that is not my prediction. <laughs> no, there are two ones there. You've just got a cursor in between them. Oh, I absolutely couldn't see that. It's appeared now. <laughs> that, that's fine. <laughs> don't worry. It was definitely correct. Next week, I, I'm I, like, I definitely don't remember saying Snowden was going to win this race. I'm definitely not incorrectly typing a one, and then when chaos unfolds and Snowden comes out on top, <laughs> you get a point. That's not happening. <laughs> right um quick reminder back of the grid.com go on there register if you've already registered submit your predictions they will close at what is currently providing the schedule remains intact 2 p.m uk time on a friday which is a ridiculous time for a qualifying one session to begin but that's your landmark is q1 begins so submit before Q1 begins and hope it doesn't move or anything crazy because that's going to cause me chaos let alone you guys trying to submit predictions it's going to be even worse for me having to adjust on the fly so <laughs> I'm nervous <laughs> right should we do some inbox let's do some inbox keep me saying now stay hey man uh, shall I take the first one? You can indeed. Wes says, hey man, what impact, if any, do you think the break will have had on the teams? I know they're professionals and all, but it seems like ending a four-week break with Baku might be a bit problematic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's uh, 
it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Seeing a bunch of rusty is probably the wrong word for it, but like drivers who have had three weeks off just barreling down into that turn one where they're not always as spatially aware, let's say, as they are at other circuits. Um, <laughs> a lot of people hit that outside wall of turn one in a race start yeah. in a Baku weekend. So <laughs> when you've had three weeks off and you've only been doing it in a sim, I'm not, I wouldn't put it past anyone to be out before turn one, well, or going into turn one. Yeah. In both races. Those, those runoff areas are going to see a lot of action, I think. Um Mm. It is strange though because we've kind of had a break, but without any kind of shutdown involved. So because yeah. normally whenever we have a break from the season, there's a factory shutdown. So from a technical point of view and the factory point of view, you'll be interested to see what teams have been able to really make the most of this and like you know put what they've learned from the first few races into practice and make some changes. So yeah, it's it's, it's definitely a weird situation, but. It's it's all, it's just like I say, it's more ingredients that add up to this weekend potentially being absolute chaos. Yeah, should be fun. <laughs> fun from a spectator perspective, at least. Um, Jay, Jay Alexander says, "Hey man, as a business person, oh this is this is an interesting one by the way. I pre-read oh this one. Up. A business person with massive industry connections has approached you to start a new Formula One team. They've asked you to bring in a manufacturer team together." You must choose a team principal, three drivers, because we need a reserve driver, oh a title sponsor, and <laughs> manufacturer to bring in. Uh, one catch, it cannot be a manufacturer that has previously built an F1 engine or team um, or is one that is set to join the grid already in the next few years. And then it's kindly provided a list of people that you can't have. So Alpha, BMW, Bugatti, Cosworth, Fiat, Ford, Hart, Honda, uh, Jaguar, Judd, Lamborghini, Lancia, Maserati, Mugen, Peugeot, Porsche, Subaru, or Yamaha. Pick somebody <laughs> else. Build a team, Chris. Go. Oh, wait, you're going to throw me straight in there. Yeah, I am. All right. Because I had not thought about it either. My team principal, I'm going to bring Ross Braun out of retirement. Good shout. My three drivers off the top of my head are going to be Lando Norris. Max Verstappen, and let's pick a non-race driver for reserve. Uh, Taupo Chair can be my reserve driver. Okay. Um, the title sponsor will be Lego. <laughs> <laughs> I knew and... you were going to say that because I was tempted <laughs> to say exactly the same thing. <laughs> and the manufacturer I'm going to bring in the manufacturing going to bring in is going to be Kia because... Do you I own a Kia currently? Do you drive I a do. Kia currently? I, I also so. think it is a matter of time before a um, South Korean manufacturer moves into, uh, if not F1, then another top-tier motorsport. Hyundai sounds like the more racy option, but I've gone for Kia just because it's slightly funnier. And also, they're basically the same company anyway. Yeah. So okay. Yeah, there you go. There's my team off the top of my head. Okay. So, manufacturer, I'll go Genesis. And do you know oh. why I'm going to say Genesis? Because oh. that's Kia, but better. <laughs> um, wow. Is it Kia or is it Hyundai? I always forget this the wrong way around. There might be Hyundai, but better. It's basically, it's it's Hyundai's version of what Lexus is to Toyota. Yeah. So I'm going, for anyone that doesn't know a Genesis, that's what a Genesis is. So I'm going to go Genesis. So that's that's easy. Plus you get that nice, nice winged bag badge. That looks kind of Formula One team-esque. So yeah. all about the aesthetic there. In terms of a sponsor, oh, I don't even know at this point. Trying to think of something that personally benefits me so I can capitalize on this situation because that's the true <laughs> Formula One way of doing things. Um, back of the grid Formula One. No, that's a bad sponsor <laughs> in car. Yeah, Scrap you don't that want idea. that. Scrap that idea. Um, I would, I really don't know. I'm trying to think of iconic liveries that I'd want to kind of bring back without saying golf. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I'm really struggling. 
Stop spamming rich energy in chat. Yeah, no. I not see that. you all. I see you all. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll circle back to this one. So you stole one of my drivers as well. So we'll have a fight about who's contracted Lando Nori. <laughs> we'll have a. I'd put. I'm going to be really boring and I'm going to put Danny Ricardo back in a seat. Um, and then as a reserve driver, I don't know. Because I've I've sort of wanted him to do well and progress for a while, I'm going to say Jack Dewan, just because okay. I kind of wanted to see him yeah. get close to a Formula One team. And I think that could work. Um, what else do I need? I need a team principal. Um, I mean, John Todd was a good one. I would have had Ross Braun, but I don't want to feel like my team's exactly the same as yours. Yeah, I've stolen all the good so, ones. Can I? Does it have to be someone that could legit do it, or can I like go Frank I'm, Williams for I'm the for everyone. the spirit? I'm going to go for yeah. the spirit of like Frank Williams as a team boss because he would smash it out of the park. <laughs> and so then I just need a sponsor. <sighs> Martini. Martini is a very good choice. I've got a lot of just time Just for the for livery? Yeah, I've got a lot of time for that. I'm not going to benefit. The only thing that I can benefit people wouldn't want to see on Formula One cars because it'd be like Cloudflare or <laughs> ANS <Boring>. or like <laughs> tech giants that <laughs> nobody wants to see on a car. So I'll go Martini. Although nice. Cloudflare might make a nice logo. Yeah, Orange and clouds good. and stuff. I don't know. Martini. I think I'm done there. I think I've named everything I need to name. I'm surprised you didn't say a brewery, actually, for uh, a sponsor. Ooh, good shout. Beaver Town. Yeah. Beaver Town. They have got such good branding. Yes. And the little, awesome, the little colourful skulls on a phone. Yeah. Well done, Chris. You've solved my go. dilemma. That is a mega <laughs> shout. And if anybody doesn't drink craft beer to know what I'm talking about, just Google Beaver Town can. They look amazing. Imagine have... that all over a Formula One car. That would be very good. Good shout. Thanks I for feel the inspiration. Like I'm now going to go and look on, um, I forgot the name of the website, where you can get paint jobs on iRacing and see if someone's made a Beaver Town <laughs> livery yeah, for any cars. I mean, and any of their cans would be good. The the neck oil yellow one, the gamma ray blue one with all the alien mm -hmm. people. Lupuloid, that's one with the big green monster on it. Anything like that. It'd look cool. Uh, next question from Lucas. This is, hi, listening to some Gary Anderson chat, he suggested that changing tyres under red flags should be limited so teams can't change the compound and get around having to make their obligatory pit stop. Thoughts? Also on the themes of improved sprint weekends, how about using the new format suggested by F1? Except the cars using the Saturday quality and sprint are borrowed from one of the support races, e.g. F2, Aussie V8s, Porsche Super Cups, etc. I like that a lot. I mean, I'd love the prospect of throwing all the F1 grid in the Porsche Super Cup or Aussie V8 supercars. Oh, that'd be... Whether, whether the Aussie Supercar or Porsche Super Cup teams would appreciate that is another matter yeah i'm sure with <laughs> enough uh, reimbursement they'd be okay with it yeah true um and then in terms of the i guess the front bit of the question um we've kind of talked about that quite a bit i think there's an element of you need to be able to let them change to some degree just for like safety reasons like obviously if they've been driving through an accident scene and picked up some carbon fiber through the carcass of the tire or anything like th there is grounds that it warrants changing them um i think somehow limiting how they change them is a good thing or yeah I'd, finding a way that there's some sort of it's all about i was going to say there's some sort of like pirelli loophole where like pirelli, pirelli have got a spare set of softs for everyone <laughs> And in this scenario, they just chuck them on. But then if you get a second red flag and so on, it just becomes messy. And yeah. they end up with so many tyres, it's ridiculous. Um, I don't know how... I don't know the best way of handling it, but I agree that there should be, there should be something in place that maybe if you're putting on a brand new set of tyres, you have to, I don't know, fall to the back of the pack or something. And if you're putting on a previously used set, you fall back to the pack of the pack. But 
ahead of those. And then maybe if you don't change your tires at all, you stay where you were. I so do, like a gradual yeah, demotion? I, I don't I know. I do like this idea as a compromise because obviously I, th- I still think the best option would just be you can't change tires under a red flag. And I know there's some arguments against that, but having it like you can only change within the compound actually feels like a really good middle ground there. Um, yeah, there's obviously the arguments that like, oh well, what if I've not got any of that compound left? Yeah, that's the well, first argument I can think of. Uh, well, well, tough. Yeah. I would say Don't to that, to them. be honest with you, like that's just kind of a strategic thing. Like that's that's a, again, that's at least choices have been made to lead to that situation, not just oh, we looked out here we don't have to make a pit stop anymore. Yeah, and I suppose the thing is as well that it, there's there's an argument to be had with the, the whole safety thing, but that would be if um, if there wasn't a red flag, then you would have had to come into the pits if you thought you'd picked up debris that was damaging the tyres yeah. anyway. And to be fair, I would probably say that they've got to somehow to some degree, prove that there's an issue with the, or, you know, potential issue with the tyre. Like, and it's got to be FIA sanctioned of, we don't have any of this compound left, but we need to change the tyre. And something can then be arranged, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. But then they'd all be at it. It's, it's It's such a fine line as to what is best for the racing, but without basically like compromising somebody that genuinely is in a bit of a predicament yeah yeah if there wasn't a red flag they'd still have to pit if they thought there was a problem with the tires so maybe they do need to go to the back if they've if they've not saved a if they've not got a pair of matching compound that they can put on maybe that is the punishment that if they want to change it out of that compound they have to go to the back of the pack i mean even just saying that you can change your tires under red flag, but that won't count as your mandatory tire change. So it removes the option of these zero stop strategies that we see sometimes. Like anything yeah. in that direction would improve things. I mean, that's that one's simple enough in itself, isn't it? To basically yeah. say you can change tires and even change compound, but if you change to a different compound, it does not count as your mandatory change, which therefore means you would have to. Say you'd gone soft to medium uh, during a red flag, you would then still have to stop again and put a second set of mediums on to say you've officially like race changed tires uh, or go back to softs for a final stint. And it doesn't necessarily matter which you go to in that second stop as long as you have made a pit stop to say you have made a change. I think that would work to some degree. There's, there's a lot of options that would make it better. Uh, one more, I think, for this week. Yep. Uh, Paper Camera says, oh, this is another like hypothetical of some degree. Hmm. What driver from history would you like to see on the grid this Sunday? I'd personally love to see Jim Clark behind the wheel of anything. I think, <laughs> unfortunately... I think Jim Clark is, if, if you can have the correct answer to a hypothetical question, I think Jim Clark probably is the correct answer. I think mm. not just because he was obviously a phenomenal driver, but also I feel like most other like greatest of all time list type drivers, there's a lot of, um, you always, there's a lot of footage and interviews and all sorts of stuff around them. I feel like whenever you see like features on Jim Clark, they're always just, there doesn't seem to be that much. Mm. actual stuff you can watch of him being as incredible as everybody said he was. And other drivers in particular always spoke just so highly about Jim Clark. So the opportunity to see him driving something would be incredible. Um, But to pick someone that's not (laughs) from the question, um, like I want to go sort of further back into F1 history that I maybe didn't see a chance. Maybe, maybe Nigel Mansell would be a good one. I think Nigel mm. Mansell was like, he was. A, I think he's such a fascinating driver because he was very much just like a, kept plugging away at it like he was all determination. And he actually seemed to just get better and better the longer his career went on. So yeah. I think he'd be a fun guy to see driving again. 
when I first saw this one, I sort of was thinking of people from a not too dissimilar era, so like Jackie Stewart and fellow Brits as well, thinking about it, Jackie Stewart, yeah. Graham Hill, those kind of names, because again, it's, it's one of those things where maybe a bit more footage and interviews with the two of them because obviously they were around a lot longer than, than Jim Clark was, but just to actually be able to experience it kind of firsthand in in the flesh to see a driver like that. Because um, their driving style and what they were putting on the line in that era was very, very different. Um, and I think their mentality in a race like Baku or, or Mon- like the, those three guys in particular that we've named there, Jim Clark, uh, Jackie Stewart, Graham Hill, all extremely good when it came to the street circuits. Like Jim Clark and uh, sorry, Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart, three time Monaco winners each, I think. Yeah. So like they, you know, they were part of the the best of their generation on that kind of circuit. So I would love love to see what they do with this modern iteration of a yeah. a Formula One street circuit because it's it is a street circuit, but it's also very different to something like Monaco because mm. of the high speeds and, and... Yeah, very fast route circuit. Very different. So, yeah, anyone from that sort of era that was really good around Monaco would be very yeah. interesting. And that's just, I guess, narrowing it down to... Because I noticed the question was this Sunday. So I'm yeah. thinking like... A ra- I'm thinking the question has a hint of at Baku to it. Um, so, yeah, those are the kind of guys that I'd be thinking. Yeah. Did you say Sterling Moss? Can't remember if you mentioned him as well, but I think no, I didn't mention Moss, but he's another like multiple Monaco winner that that it'd be good to see. Yeah, Moss always reminds me. Not to get too off tangent, but Moss always reminds me of the modern driver's style in a completely unfitting era. So, like Mm. throughout Formula One history up until about the nineties. You had to wrestle a car. You had to fight a car. You watch any onboard footage from anything. Everyone's chopping at the wheel. Like yeah, even even wheel drifting. Yeah, even like into the nineties with Senna, early Schumacher, Prost. There's a lot of fight in the wheel. Like there's a lot of that. Sterling Moss is one of the few people when I've looked back that I always just remember being so smooth in and out of corners and mm. not doing that, which. It seemed really alien at the time. It's something that always kind of stood out a bit to me. But obviously, when you look at modern F1 cars, that is the style. And it just seems weird that someone so far back had that style and obviously was successful with it. Whereas today, if you had like a very choppy style, like people talk about Max being an aggressive driver, but it's nowhere near the aggressive wheel action that you see going back to the 90s and earlier. So... It is very weird. So I would like to have seen what Sterling Moss could have done with a car like today just because of his driving style more than anything. Well, someone's um, mentioning Surtees in the chat. Yeah, Surtees is a good John show. Surtees. I mean, someone else mentioned Senna, who, I mean, Senna's obviously yeah. a, not Senna and Prost are sort of quite obvious answers, but yeah, I want to go a little further back than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that rounds off inbox very nicely. So a nice little sort of hypothetical question to end it on. Um, if you'd like to reach out with us uh, to put in questions for next week's show or tell us how wrong our predictions are or anything of the like, feel free to do so through Twitter, where at Back of the Grid F1. You can find us on Facebook, where I search for Back of the Grid. And you can head to backofthegrid.com, as I mentioned earlier, where you, there's a contact us form that you can submit. You can email us, hello at backofthegrid.com. And obviously, if you're on the website, make sure you head on there and get your predictions in there's also links on there to our grid rival fantasy league our official f1 fantasy league and plenty of other stuff to be having a look through so enjoy your time there um until we are back next week and we hope to see you then so enjoy whatever time the baku weekend happens to be at everyone and in whatever Um, format it ends up being yeah like who knows at this point so (laughs) let the fun unfold enjoy everyone Bye. Bye.